so this, this is a little bit, in the, in the same way that um, Doc Emmett Brown, thank you, and Marty McFly needed to, they needed to invent a time machine, didn't they, with a flux capacitor. They had to go at 88 miles an hour, hit, they, they needed 1.21 gigawatts of energy, and then they could go in time, and, and they, could, they could find out what was going to happen in the future, or the past. And they, there was this wonderful trilogy of films about this. Some of you are nodding. Um, I think I'm of a certain age where a number of you are not nodding. You kind of <laughs> never heard of this. Trust me, kids, this is a great film. It's brilliant. You should watch it. It's called Back to the Future. Anyway, so in, 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 that, in that film, actually, although the storyline was about a time machine, really what the story was about is how to make the most of your life. Really, the crux of that story was about what makes life brilliant? What is the best? And, and Jesus actually spelled that out for us beautifully in, in this parable and in a number of other parables that, that, that he used. The parable of the ten miners, um, well, I tell you what, it's got something for us, for everybody. And th there are some people here who, I don't, I mean, I don't know, there may be some people here who perhaps are kind of dipping their toes in the water. Maybe you're interested in the Christian faith. Maybe you're kind of wondering about whether or not this could actually really be true for you. And you're kind of just looking. And there's something in this parable for you that hopefully explains for you just what there is for you if you become a follower of Jesus in the here and the now. See, see Christianity and big, becoming a follower of Jesus is not all about pie in the sky when you die. It's not all about one day God will make everything right. It's also about what God does for us and through us in the here and the now. And there's something about that in there. I want you to look for it as we start going through it verse by verse. There's also stuff here for those of you who perhaps are a bit newer to faith. Perhaps you've now committed, you've become a Christian, you're following Jesus, and there'll be all sorts of questions about, okay, well, what next? I remember a friend of mine became a Christian a, a few years ago, and we went for a walk, and, and, and he kind of, he, he just kind of nudged me and said, you know, Bug, like, to become a Christian, now what? Like, the world hasn't all changed around me. Now, now what happens, because I think sometimes we can become Christians, we can become followers of Jesus, and we think everything is going to be different. And it feels like that for about three months. And, th and then after about that amount of time, we start thinking, okay, well, well now what? Where's, the, where, where's all the lightning bolts and the, and, the, and the great revelations and things? My life feels quite similar. There's something in here for you, too. Um, and there are those of us who have been Christians for quite a long time now. And we've been doing this a while. I don't know at what point we call spiritual maturity maturity. I don't, how do you define such a thing? But there's those of us who've been around for a, for a while who've been following Jesus for a long time. And I think that there's something really important in this too. There's something in this parable. I particularly want you to look at this. And, and we'll, on, the, on the next slide, we'll talk about the parable of the talents slightly. And, and actually, this isn't the parable of the talents. This is the parable of the miners, and it's slightly different. I think Jesus has very deliberately used a monetary example in this because they are transferable. There are lessons that you can draw between the two. Okay, so let's set the scene. So this is a point at which we're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, and what, what's happening is, is Jesus has just met the tax collector Zacchaeus. You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus? So Zacchaeus is a little guy. He climbs up a tree because he can't see Jesus. And, and, and then a whole load of unexpected things happen in short sequence, don't they? Has anyone seen that TV show, A Series of un Unfortunate Events? Oh, yeah, one, one or two, yeah. It's, it's quite funny. There's all these kind of outrageous circumstances which happen back to back, and they're all bad. 
well, this is, Zacchaeus is like the other one. It's a series of really fortunate events that no one was expecting. So Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. No one was expecting Jesus to stop under the tree and say, Zacchaeus, come down. No one was expecting Zacchaeus to jump out of the tree and say, yes, I'll follow you. And then no one was expecting Jesus to say, well, come, let, you need to, we need some lunch. Can we, can we come round? And so this whole thing happens. Anyway, so that's happened. Lots of things are happening that were unexpected. And do you know, interestingly, when we were praying about the service this morning, someone brought a word and they said, God's been talking to me about unexpected things. You know, and I think there are people coming along today for whom, and they weren't expecting God to speak to them. Actually, God wants to speak to those people. Perhaps you're just going through the motions. Perhaps you're coming to church and you can't think, you know, can't, you know I'm looking forward to lunch, to be honest. And, and actually, maybe that's it. God wants to meet with you. He wants to speak with you. There's a message in this parable for you. And, and, and the disciples had massive expectations. They thought that Jesus was just about to go into Jerusalem. They're approaching Jerusalem. Everyone around him knows it. They can see it on the horizon. And, and, and they're about to approach it, and they think Jesus is going to arrive in Jerusalem. He's just about, the very next thing that happens in Luke's gospel is that he does the triumphal entry when he sits on the donkey. So he's just about to do that. And they think that Jesus is going to usher in a new era there and then. They don't know how, but they think somehow he's going to overthrow Roman occupation. He's just, I no idea how. They, somehow he's going to, maybe he's going to call down armies of angels. But that's the kind of thing that they're thinking. They're thinking there's going to be this apocalyptic event and everything's going to be turned on its head. And it's not quite like that, is it? In the end, we know. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows. And he's actually told them just a bit before Zacchaeus, he says in Luke's gospel, look, I'm going to be arrested. They're going to be tried. They're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. And I'm going to raise again on the third day. And it just goes straight over the disciples' heads. They have no idea that this is about to happen. And so he's trying to warn them again because they think, it's all going to change suddenly. And he's trying to get them the message that that's actually not how this is going to work. God's got other ideas about what happens next. So it's not, again, it's not what they're expecting. And just lastly, this is really, you, you'll, you'll recognize some of the stuff here. And, and you'll know it probably as the parable of the talents, because that's a, that's a really well-known one. In fact, the word talent, we've taken from that parable to mean our gifting, our special abilities at things, don't we? We've got different talents, and God wants us to invest those talents. We know that story. This is subtly different. You'll notice in the conversation that the nobleman has with the servants that the back and forth between the nobleman and the servants is almost identical to the back and forth that happens in the parable of the talents. But there's a few important details. Um, Firstly, it's the amount of money involved. That's quite interesting. A minor is an amount of money in the same way that a talent was. A talent was probably worth, in today's money, about a house, 300,000-ish pounds. A minor is worth about three months' wages if you were an agricultural worker. So something like 5,000 pounds, shall we say. Who knows, really? But about 5,000 pounds. And the point is that that's a much more accessible, relatable, understandable amount of money I think that the point, that the reason Jesus was doing that, I think he was making the point, saying that almost the same parable again, but he was saying, no, 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 this is for you. This is for each of you. This is an, this is an amount of money that you're all 
familiar with. Not everyone has access to a talent. Not everyone has access to, you know, that, a large pool of money. But actually, we all get our little piece, don't we? We all get what we get. We all have a certain provision. And I think that's the point that he was making. Let's go through it verse by verse. Um, okay, so, while they were listening to this, this is Jesus speaking, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He mentioned that, didn't we? That, that, that's reminding us again why he felt the need to say this parable. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. This is the only example that I can think of of where Jesus directly references a real historical event when he's using a parable. And, and, and some of you will, will know this, um, but there was, there was a, a line of noblemen, the Herods. There was Herod the Great, self-styled the Great. He was not really the Great in any sense. He was a puppet king of a Roman rule. But anyway, he called himself Herod the Great. He was the one that wanted to murder all the babies in the nativity. Remember that guy? Okay, so his son was just as bad. Okay, so his, his son, Herod Archelaus, his name was. And, and Herod Archelaus had to go to Caesar to be appointed king. And this happened around the time, just before Jesus said this parable, will be in the living memory of the people listening. So Jesus is directly linking his parable to a real historical event. Do you see how he's using the small, accessible, relatable, understandable amount of money? Something that actually they would all have had access to at some point in their life. He's also directly linking it to a real historical event. Do you see how he's saying, this isn't about one day maybe. This is about here and now and for you. Don't worry, I won't pause after every single verse. We will be done before lunch. Okay, so he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Bearing in mind, 10 servants, 10 miners. Not like the parable of the talents. In the parable of the miners, each servant gets exactly the same amount. You can only divide 10, 10 ways, right? So each one gets one minor. In the parable of the talents, they get differing amounts, don't they? And that's why we draw slightly different conclusions about what a talent means. So what does a minor mean? Well, it, it might be like a talent, like the gifting or kind of special kind of abilities that you have, but it's difficult to draw that conclusion because of the fact that everyone gets the same. And we know that not everyone gets the same opportunity in life. Not everyone gets the same talents. And so it's a little different from that. Sometimes people say, well, maybe the miners is, is, maybe that's Jesus' metaphor for the gospel. Maybe each of us get, you know, a, the, the gospel. That's, that's what our minor is, and it's what we do with our knowledge of the gospel that, that he's drawing an allusion to. And I think that's more along the right lines, but I think that's perhaps a little bit too narrow. It's not just about our understanding of the gospel. Excuse me, I keep tapping the microphone. So it's not just about our understanding of the gospel. I think it is also about what we do with that message. But, but not that, but, but what we do with our life circumstances, our little bit. We each get our kind of portion, don't we? We each get what we can control, what we can do. And, and I think the miners are more like that. Each of us has a responsibility to take what we get given and to start building the kingdom of God around us with it. You know, in our, in our own small ways. Maybe we, what we do with our week is that we care for our children. 
And so maybe the minor that we get is our, our ability to care for those children in a godly, loving, nurturing kind of a way. Maybe that's our minor and what we do with it. Maybe we do a different job. Maybe we go out to work. And our, and our portion, our piece, our minor, if you like, is the way in which we conduct ourselves in work, the way in which we talk to people in meetings. It might be the way in which we insist on only speaking the truth in a meeting or a business deal or something like that. Okay. So his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So who are the subjects in this story? They are, they are probably... Jesus is referring to the Jewish people. He's probably referring to the people around him who, within the week, will be insisting on his crucifixion. But the subjects are also, it goes beyond that, aren't they? Because they're, they're the Jewish people at that time, but they're also the world in general. We are all subjects of the king. We are all subjects of Jesus. And unless we are living our lives in such a way that we are serving Jesus then effectively what we're saying, because either you're serving the king or you're in rebellion. That's the, that's the only two options. If, if, you know, it, it's, not, it's, not like, it's not like England, is it, where we've got a king, but really he's not in control. You know, we, we, we have a king, but it's not like we all have to serve him. It's a bit different, right? We're talking about a true king here. We're talking about a king who's really in control. And, and at some point, he's coming back. So he's, so he's going away. He's going to be appointed king. And at some point, we know he's going to come back in his authority. And these subjects are in rebellion against him. So he was made king, however, and he returns home. And then he sends for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with this. And the first one came and said, sir, your miner has earned 10 more. Notice the humility of the first servant. It's not, look what I've done. Look how great I am. It is, your miner has made 10 more. This servant understands that it's all his kingdom. The miner is his. The environment in which the miner works is his. The whole, you know, the whole situation, this is all under his kingship. Your miner has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replies. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answers, You take charge of five cities. Notice how the reward is wildly out of proportion to the initial test. And that shows you it, it is a test. The miner... The mine is only about £5,000. It's, it's, it's not a big amount of money that he's left his trusted servants with. And he's come back, and one of them's invested it and made more, so is the other one, and the proportion of the reward is huge. And instead of £5,000, he's given him charge of, of, of 10 cities. That's like £5 billion. Like, it's massively out of proportion. And it just draw, I think Jesus is saying, is making the point, this is a test. The other servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it away and laid it in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. 
Now, at first, when I read this, I just thought, I don't really recognize, like, who is that? Who is this servant? And then, when I really thought about it, I thought, you know what, sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes that servant is me. Sometimes this is how I respond to God in my, in, you know, my not such great moments. Sometimes, actually, God gives me an opportunity. And I think to myself, I don't want to take that opportunity. Sometimes, you know, I see a need in front of me. I see an obvious place where I could be serving the church or I could be serving, you know, other people. Or God perhaps has something for me to do. And my response is, oh, but if I do that, you know, in the kingdom of God, work well done is rewarded with more work, isn't it? That's kind of what this parable is about. Um, but the thing is, that sometimes means me like, I don't want to because I know what he's going to do. <laughs> and you kind of feel a bit, you know, you sort of feel a bit like Jonah, don't you? Like, oh, I don't want to go to Nineveh because they're just going to repent and then I'm going to look daft. You know, actually, God, God offers, sometimes we respond like this. And we're like, oh, God, you're, you're a tough boss. Because even if I do this thing, you'll only make it grow and then I'll have to do more. And Actually, sometimes we're like, and actually, we've got we to gotta check our attitude sometimes, you know? that We don't need to be frightened of God. This is wrong. He's got, like, this is, I keep pointing at the screen, you can't see that. This is, this is wrong. God's, God's not a hard man. Jesus isn't tough. He rewards you wildly for the things, that, for, for the work that you do. It's interesting, isn't it, that he says, he says this, you take out what you did not put in, you reap what you did not sow. You know, there's a, there's a common misunderstanding that people have. Is they think to themselves that their resources, and by resources I mean money, but I mean time, and, 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 and I mean, you know, our, our convenience, and I mean all of those things that actually are quite precious to us, right? Sometimes there's this common misunderstanding that we give ourselves, and I'm guilty of this too. And, and I say, you know, those are mine. I don't want to spend them. I don't want to give away too much. You know, like I, I was saying earlier with Oz, like actually one, one, of, one, of the most, one of the most wonderful, delightful, rewarding things you can do in church is to teach kids church. Trust me, if you're not on the road to get on it, it's brilliant. But, but it's not easy. It's not. It takes time. It takes loads of energy. You have to, you, you know, you, you have to dance around and sing with them and stuff. And, you know, you kind of feel a bit awkward sometimes. But it doesn't matter. Okay, but actually it's hard. It takes things from you. And sometimes we can be a bit mean-hearted, can't we? We can hold on to these resources that we think are ours. But they're not ours. They're never ours. He gave them to us to begin with. He said, look, here's your minor. This is your, this is it. This is what you've got to build the kingdom with. So let's build the kingdom with it. Let's not be like the servant where we say, you know what, God, you're really tough. I know that you've given me some of these gifts. I know that you've kind of done this, but I don't want to because then I'll have to be on the road to all the time. Now, come on. This is, we've got to get the right attitude here. And so then Jesus, Jesus responds to this. I warn you, it's, it's, it's quite harsh. It's quite tough. You know, sometimes Jesus can be, like, a bit shocking because he's the king. So he says, I'll judge you by your own words. 
you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm hard, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. So you say that all of this was yours. You think that these gifts, these talents, these resources, you think that they're yours, do you? Well, then at least put them on deposit. At least do what you're supposed to have done with them rather than hiding them away and pretending that they weren't there. So that when I come back, I could have at least collected it with interest. So he says to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has 10 miners. Remember that principle I mentioned early? The kingdom reward for work well done is more work. That, that's a wonderful privilege. It's tough, but it is a wonderful privilege. You know, God gives you this little bit and he says, build the kingdom with that. And if you start building the kingdom with that, it grows, doesn't it? And, and, and your responsibilities grow. Your opportunities grow. Like this one with the 10 miners. Now he's got 11 miners that he's got to keep building the kingdom with. And he's probably thinking to himself, cool, this is going to be hard. <laughs> I've got a lot to do here. But actually, that's an exciting thing. You know, if, 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 if you're one of those people that I mentioned at the beginning, if you're kind of dipping your toe in the water, if you're just looking, if you're wondering what, what God wants you to do with the rest of your life, you don't have to be like Marty McFly. You don't have to build a time machine. You don't have to go back and forth in time to understand how to get the most of the rest of your life. How you get the most out of the rest of your life is you take what gives you now, take what the Lord has given you and build with it, invest it, do stuff with it because God will make it grow and he will give you more to do. And then you have a life that is filled with direction and purpose and meaning and value. And it's like the most exciting and exhausting thing ever. It's brilliant. So they said, he's already got 10. Yeah, like he didn't know. Anyway, so I, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. And as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. You know, just hiding your gifts, pretending that you don't have resources, pretending that you don't have time. You, do, you know, if you don't have these things, that's, that's not really an option. What about those enemies? What about those ones? Remember there were some the subjects who didn't want him to be king, who went and tried to resist. This is exactly what happened to Herod Archelaus. There actually was a delegation that went to Caesar at the same time as him and tried to protest, don't let this man be king. Um, Caesar made the wrong call and made that one king. It went wrong. Um, but in this case, it's different. That you know, Ultimately, right now, Jesus has gone away. The, you know, he's, we're in that moment, aren't we, between times. If Jesus is the noble man of noble birth here, he's giving us our minors. We've got stuff to do. He wants us to get on and build the kingdom in the here and the now. But one day he's coming back. And for now, there's, there's a tolerance of people who are rejecting his kingship. And at, at the moment... You can go throughout your whole life and say, I don't believe in Jesus, not God. I you know, don't believe there's such a thing as God, and so on. And there's no real consequence. But one day, that will end. One day, Jesus comes back. The master will return. One day, the curtains do roll back. And the author will step onto the stage. And all the world will know it was a play in the beginning. One day that will happen. And then I, I added this last verse on the end because, well, I didn't write it, but I, I made sure that it was in there. 
But those enemies of mine who did not want me to king, be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Oz was kind to me. He didn't include this in the original kind of reading for the thing. But you see, the thing is, this is one of those moments where you think to yourself, Jesus, did, did you have to put it like that? Did you, did you really? Actually, the, we've got to understand this in context. Firstly, he's, again, he's referencing that very real historical example. Uh, and that's, and that's, that's exactly what Archelaus did when he returned. So, that, so that's the reference that Jesus is, is using. Archelaus killed about 3,000 Jews when he came back. from. from they, they made a, there was a revolt. He just marched the, 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 the Roman army in. Um, but Jesus is making the point that at some point, that his trouble with kings is that, is that they are actually in charge. And at some point, they will exert their reign and their authority. And I guess that's the warning, isn't it? So if you're just looking, if you're wondering about whether or not you want to be a follower of Jesus, there comes a point where he's coming back. So to become a follower of Jesus is to say yes to a life of mission and purpose and resources. God, you know, remember in this, the, the nobleman, he gave the servants everything that they needed to be able to build the kingdom around them. You, you have, you know, sometimes people feel like they don't have much to contribute to the world around them. But actually, becoming a Christian means that you're trusting in God to give you all the resources that you need to make a difference, not just for the here and now, but in the here and now, and forever, and for eternity. And God gives you that degree of opportunity in the here and now. It's actually really exciting. But the thing is, there is a warning to this. Because you can't just not decide forever. At some point, the king is coming back. We, all of us have to make a decision about what we do with the truth of Jesus. For the new Christian, so sometimes when I, have, when, when I talk with new Christians, um, and when I talk with friends and things, I, I often will recommend that they read books, that they get excited about stories, about what what you know what great people of faith have done there's always a slight risk in this though you know so so i, I you know i'll go on my standard books that i go and offer them to read and, and if you haven't read these read them they're, they're brilliant um so there's there's the cross and the switchblade there's god's smuggler there's the heavenly man you know there's books like this that are, that are they're full of wonderful stories about what christians have done with their minor it's almost like holding that one who, did, who got the tent. It's almost like holding that up as an example and saying, look, you know, this is what God can do if you just give him your minor. If you just give him your little bit, this is what God can make happen with it. And, and I think sometimes the risk is that that can become a bit disheartening. If you're a new Christian, you kind of think to yourself, well, you know, I've been doing this a year or two or something, and, and I, I don't feel that God is using me much yet. I don't feel like I'm connected to a mission. You know, you've got, you got someone like Bug standing up the front there, and he's like full of energy and a bit weird. Um, but, but like, you know, you, you see that and you think, well, <laughs> that's just not what my life feels like. I don't feel excited to jump out of bed and be a Christian. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't feel excited about sharing the gospel with everyone that I meet. I don't either, by the way. It's an illusion. Um, but... Actually, the point is, we all get our bit, don't we? We all get our minor. Jesus went to pains. He was very deliberate and specific about saying that, look, this is relatable. This is real. We, he, you know, the service, they only got a small amount of money. We're not talking talents here. We're talking minors. Everyone's got a minor. 
That's the thing. And so all you have to do, if you're new, if you're just getting started in your faith journey, all you have to do is put the one foot in front of the other over and over. And you'll be amazed where God takes you. Honestly, you will be. We tend to massively underestimate what will happen in our lives in a, in a one to two year time frame. We, we tend to have like, we, we wildly overestimate what's likely to change in life in one to two years, right? We also wildly underestimate what will happen in our lives over a 10 year time frame. If you just do a few habits deliberately, specifically, if you just put the one foot in front of the other and you keep following Jesus, you keep spending and investing your minor faithfully, reliably over time, you will look back, one day you will look back and you will say, you know what God has done in my life is electrifying. And it, and it really is. Some of you are mature Christians. Some of you have been doing this a while. Some of you have stories like that. You're thinking to yourself as I'm saying that, yeah, actually, I can relate to that. It's nice to be reminded of that sometimes. Like some of you have been doing this a long time and you're like, actually, God's done some amazing things in my life. There's a little challenge for you here as well. You know, money grows over time. Miners grow. I think Jesus was very deliberate in using money again as the example in this parable. It was very deliberate, I think, because monies over time become talents, don't they? Gradually, the opportunities grow and develop and build. But in order to make money grow, what do you have to do? You take risks. We've got any financial advisors here? Close your ears. The bigger the risk you take, the better. Okay, so because as you take the risks, the money grows faster, doesn't it? And that's the point with kingdom things. We need to take risks. And if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, you know that you're a mature Christian. You know kind of what I mean by that. So, so you've been doing this a while. What habits have you got on a daily basis? What things are you doing day to day to keep putting the one foot in front of the other? What things are you doing that grow those minors, that give you more opportunities in the kingdom? It's, 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 you know, it's simple. Sometimes it's just simple things. I hold my hand up. One of the things I'm struggling with at the moment is the discipline of getting up early to pray. I know that if I got up early, if I just got up half an hour early every day, and I spent that little time with God, talking with Jesus, before I started each day, I know that the, the effect that that would then have on my life would be absolutely transformative, wouldn't it? We all know this, Okay. And yet, I struggle to get that discipline into place. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's do those disciplines, because that's what makes the miners grow. And the other thing is, the other thing I was really challenged by, is if you think about it, so the human brain, the human mind, is very, very good at detecting risk, isn't it? One of the things you can do is you're really, really, you're, 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 you focus on risk just automatically. It's really hard not to think about risk, actually, if you're a Christian, you've been doing it a while, and you can't immediately call to mind somewhere in your life where you are taking risk on, on behalf of the kingdom of God, on account of the gospel, if you are not aware of where you're taking risk, I think that that challenges you because that means you're probably not taking enough risk. Just let that sink. <laughs> okay. What I'd like to do now is if we could just kind of close in prayer and, uh, and, and I think we'll call Nadia up and we'll go from there. Father God, thank you that, thank you that you 
you actually teach us in quite plain terms that you, you love us enough to be clear. Father, I, I pray for all of the people here. I know some people who were not expecting to hear from you, and they have. Lord, I, I would pray that you take that word and you drive it deep into their heart. Like the seeds of your kingdom, it would grow and it would fruit and it would be a hundredfold. Lord, I pray your blessing on everyone here who is, who is thinking about following you. Lord, if there's anybody thinking about that commitment, Lord, I pray, just, I just would pray, nudge them over the edge. It's such an exciting journey. Father, for those of us who are, are to some extent wondering about our own commitment, Lord, I just want to say this prayer. and I pray this in your hearts following me. If, if you feel it applies to you. Father God, I want to recommit myself to following you. I want to recenter. I want to re-envision what the future could be for me with you. Lord, I want you to hold my hand and walk with me over the next five to ten years of my life. I want you to challenge me. I want you to show me where you want me to go. And I want you to bless the miners that you give me. I know that they're from you. I know they were never mine to begin with. Lord, I want you to use them and grow them and give me more to do more with. Lord, I want to be on this adventure and on this journey with you. And I pray, I pray, Lord, that you, you, with your help, I would, I would refocus and rededicate my life to following you. Amen.